We'll be in Acts chapter number 13 this morning. Here in Acts chapter number 13, we're looking at this thought, the expansion of the gospel. Now, Acts chapter number 13 is a transitional chapter in the book of Acts. As we come through the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 1 through Acts chapter number 12 uh, deals primarily uh, with planting the church in Jerusalem and it deals primarily with Peter. Now, I understand that we meet Paul and we're introduced to Paul, but the main thing that we see in Acts chapter number 1 through Acts chapter number 12 uh, is the church at Jerusalem and the ministry of Peter. However, whenever we come to Acts chapter number 13, the book of Acts turns and takes a turn for the remainder of the book. Uh, Whenever we come to Acts chapter number 13, we see that we are introduced uh, to Paul and the mission outreach of the church. And although Peter is mentioned some in the remainder of the book of Acts, the main focus of Acts 13 through the end of the book uh, is the ministry of Apostle Paul and the mission's outreach outreach of the church going into the uttermost parts of the world. In Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 8, the apostles were given the commission for the church. And we've looked at that verse extensively. But in that verse, we also find an outline for the book of Acts. In Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 8, the Bible says, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Here in Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 8, we see an outline for the book of Acts. We see uh, that Jesus told uh, the apostles, you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. We have seen that, that they have got the church established in Jerusalem. You'll be witnesses unto me in Judea and Samaria. We have seen that. Uh, and then he said, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And starting in chapter number 13, uh, we begin to see that. I have a graph here, if you guys could pop that up on the screen. I have a graph here that uh, shows and clearly depicts uh, the progression of uh, the book of Acts. Uh, Hopefully you're able to read that at least partially. Here in this graph we see the church established in Jerusalem in chapters 1 through 7. So the church is established. In chapters 8 through 12 we see the church being enlarged uh, and going into Judea and Samaria and beginning to expand outside uh, of Jerusalem. And then we come to Acts chapter number 13 through the end of the book uh, and we see that the church is expanded uh, to reach uh, the ends of the earth just as God commanded in Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 8. And so today we're going to be beginning to look in Acts chapter number 13 at the first uh, organized mission outreach uh, of the church. Now we do know that uh, uh, in chapters number 10, 11, and 12 uh, we've seen how that Peter uh, uh, had seen the vision and went and Cornelius was led to the Lord and the Gentile ministry began to open up and the church was started at Antioch and Barnabas and Saul had went to Antioch. But there had not been an organized mission outreach until we come to chapter number 13 and we see that the church puts together their first organized mission outreach. Up to this point the gospel had reached Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and now it is time to launch a full fledged missions program to begin spreading the gospel into the uttermost parts of the earth. Here in this passage, I believe we see the need and the pattern for a successful missions ministry within 
the local church. And as we look at this, not only will we see the need and the pattern for a successful missions ministry, but we will also see some details about a healthy church in this passage. So we're going to read, starting in Acts chapter number 13, starting in verse number 1 and read down through verse number 12. The Bible says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Menane, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted, or as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. And when they had gone through the isle into Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Barjesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so his name is by interpretation, withstood them seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of all subtility and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season." And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Here in this passage of Scripture, I believe we see a blueprint for local church missions. And Lord being our helper, that is what we will be looking at this morning. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you, dear Lord, for this opportunity that we have to be in your house. And now, Lord, as we look at this passage of Scripture, Lord, as we are studying through this book, and Lord, we're learning what the church is to be and your intention for the church and the purpose of the church. Uh, Lord, we come here to Acts chapter number 13 and we begin to look uh, at the subject of mission outreach uh, and spreading the gospel into the uttermost parts of the world. Fathers, we look at this passage of Scripture. I pray, dear Father, Lord, that you will help us to see, uh, Lord, the need for missions. Uh, you will help us to see a pattern, Lord, uh, for doing missions. And Father, you also help us to see, uh, uh, Lord, the type of church that we ought to be, uh, Lord, that we might be able to be used of you uh, to reach the world for Christ. Father, I pray. Take this message, Lord, use it. Help it, Lord, to work in our hearts and, Lord, to convict us, uh, uh, Lord, that we might ask you, where can I be involved in this ministry of reaching the world with the gospel? Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Bless now in the message in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. As we begin looking at this description of the first local church uh, missions program, the first thing we see uh, is the men uh, who were who served uh, in this missions program were called of the Holy Ghost. They were called of the Holy Ghost. In verses 1 and 2, uh, uh, we see here that it begins to speak about the church 
church in verse number 2 it says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work that I have called them. Here in verse number 2 we see that this calling to the mission field was of the Holy Ghost. If we learn nothing else from this message today, we learn this, that the work of God begins with the calling of God. The work of God is launched with the calling of God. I believe there are plenty of people who are trying to do religion on their own outside of the calling of God. We see here that these men were called of the Holy Ghost to take the gospel and carry it into the uttermost parts of the world. You know, in addition to being willing to do the work of the Lord, our hearts and our minds shall be should be open to the calling of the Lord. Not only are there those who are trying to do ministry outside the calling of the Lord, there are plenty who have closed their ears to the calling of the Lord and are not listening whenever God says, this is where I want you to be involved. I believe that every Christian ought to be willing to be a part of getting the gospel into all the world. And we need to have our ears open listening for what else it is that God might want us to do. We understand that as Christians we are all called to develop a relationship with our Savior. We understand as Christians that we are all called to share the gospel and tell others the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. We understand as Christians that we are all called to live a holy life. But the Lord will often call those who are in tune with Him to something much bigger if their ears are in tune to the calling of the Lord. We know from the testimony of Barnabas and Saul that these were two men whose heartbeat was to do everything that they could do for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Serving the Lord was the first priority. Maintaining life and finding a way to meet their needs was second. First was serving the Lord Jesus Christ and they were open and ready to do whatever God might call them to do. Because they were willing and because they were listening, we see that God called these men to an even bigger job than what they had at the first as I look at verses 1 and 2, my attention is drawn to some of the characteristics of the church where this calling occurred. Of course, you know we're talking about the church there in Antioch. The church had been planted in Antioch. The church in Antioch has become established. And now it is this church in Antioch that is launching this missions program. The first thing I see about the church in Antioch was that it was a developed church. It was a developed church. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. The church at Antioch was equipped with several people who were ready and able to teach and preach the Word of God. The church at Antioch had grown, it had developed, and in the church were multiple people who were able to preach and teach the Word of God. You know, I thank the Lord. I thought about it this morning. Of course, I had my message on my mind, and I was watching the Sunday school. I was listening to Brother Danny teach on heaven. Boy, I tell you what, what a wonderful lesson he brought this morning about heaven and the glories of heaven, and looking forward to that. He said he's going to be teaching on it a few more weeks, looking forward to what all God's got for 
course, but I began to think about here's Brother Danny teaching uh, from the Word of God. Here upstairs this morning was Brother Randy teaching uh, uh, from the Word of God. At least I assume you taught Brother Randy. Uh, uh, then down in the uh, commons was uh, uh, Brother Greg teaching uh, uh, from the Word of God. And in our Sunday school classes, uh, uh, we had teachers who were teaching uh, the children uh, of the Word of God. And I began to think what a blessing it is. And we have other teachers uh, uh, who substitute and who fill in and uh, sometimes alternate. I began to think what a blessing it is is that we have a church full of men who are willing to teach and preach the Word of God. You know what is going to make a church successful? What's going to create an environment where people will be called into the service of the Lord is whenever you have a church that has developed an interest in knowing the Word of God. What a blessing it is to have a developed church with multiple men proclaiming the Word of God. This church in Antioch was a church where the Word of God was going forth. It was a church where the truth was preached. It had an environment where people could learn and grow in the truths of God's Word. You know, it ought to be the goal of every church to develop people who are ready and willing to teach the Word of God. This is why I encourage the Faith Bible Institute, come, dig in, get to know the Word of God that you might be equipped to teach the Word of God. Paul told Timothy, he said, the things which I have committed unto thee, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. I think a healthy church is a church that is constantly developing people who are able to proclaim the Word of God. But in addition to being a developed church, I find that the church in Antioch was a diverse church. A diverse church. You know, I believe a healthy church is a diverse church. Here we see in verse number 1 it says, speaking of these teachers and prophets, it says, as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manain which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Let's take a real quick look at these men. First of all, Barnabas. Barnabas was a Jew. He was a selfless man. We know from other stories about him. Uh, uh, he was a man who was moved by the needs of others. Uh, it was Barnabas that sold his land uh, and gave his money to the church. Uh, it was Barnabas who went and found Saul uh, right after his conversion when everybody was afraid of Saul. Barnabas went and found him and brought him and, and stood up for him. It was Barnabas uh, who went to Antioch to help the new believers. Uh, Barnabas was a fellow who was a self man. He was moved by the needs of others. He extended graciousness to other people. What a man Barnabas was. Uh, next we see Simeon. Uh, uh, that was called Niger. It is thought by many uh, scholars that this is the same man uh, uh, who carried the cross uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we have no way of definitely proving this, uh, uh, but many things seem to point to the fact that this Simeon was the same man uh, who carried the cross of Christ uh, at his crucifixion. I tell you what, if there is one thing uh, that we will change your life forever. It is to take up the cross and follow him. And Simeon of Niger carried the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and it appears that his life was changed forever and now he's a part of this church teaching and preaching the goodness of the Lord. Next we see Lucius of Cyrene. We really do not know a lot about this man except that he was from Cyrene but here he is in the church teaching and preaching. We see Manane. Boy, I'm going to preach a whole sermon on my name, but I didn't have time. I had it in my notes this morning. I'm like, no, i got to get to the rest of the message. But we see here Manane. Uh, Manane was a man who grew up in the royal court. He grew up with Herod the Tetrarch. Now, Herod the Tetrarch is the one who beheaded John the Baptist. 
We see here two young men who grew up together, went to school together, very likely played together. But Manane became a believer and was involved in spreading the gospel around the world while Herod stayed steeped in his unbelief and opposition to the gospel. It's a whole message here on turning out good despite your background. But we can't preach that this morning. Next we see Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus, a Pharisee of the strictest sort, to the point that he persecuted and killed Christians. Now a Christian, from works to faith, from dead religion to salvation, from opposing to promoting. All of these men had varying personalities. All of these men had various backgrounds. But yet they worked together for the furtherance of the gospel of Christ. You know in every church, in our church and in every church, there are a diversity of people. We have different backgrounds. We have different personalities. We have different interests. We have different likes and dislikes. But we come together for the cause of the gospel and our diversity doesn't hinder us in the the work of the Lord because we are united around the Word of God. Whenever you try to become united in the church around your individual likes, your individual characteristics, you create a church that is unable to go forth for the cause of Christ. But whenever a church is united around the fact that our job is to get the gospel into the entire world, then diverse people can come together and work together for the cause of Christ and can be effective in reaching the world because our diversity enables us to reach all types of people. We see that this church that launched the missions program not only was a developed church, it was a diverse church. Then I see in verse number 2 that it was also a devout church. It says there in verse number 2, as they ministered to the Lord, they were faithfully worshiping and serving the Lord, faithfully ministering to the Lord. But we see that they were also a diligent church as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Not only were they devout, but they were diligent. This church was serious. They were sincere. They were selflessly seeking the will of God and the power of God. You know what I believe as Christians, oftentimes we fall short of experiencing the power of God and finding the will of God because we're not willing to discipline our flesh for the cause of Christ. This church was a diligent church. They were sincere about wanting to find what God would have them to do. As we come to verse 3 through 5, we learn here that in addition to being called by the Holy Ghost, these missionaries were commissioned by the church. In verse 3 it says, And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They had also John to their minister. You know, the Bible teaches us that the local church is God's institution for the furtherance 
of the gospel. The Great Commission was given to the local church and it is the local church who God has entrusted this responsibility with. And it is because of that uh, that any outreach ministry... Now I'm not saying that uh, there are outreach ministries that are not under the church that are that they're all ineffective. There are those type of ministries who do reach peoples for Christ. But any ministry who wants to have the blessing of God and be successful and do as much as they can for God ought to be under the authority of the local church. Anytime I encounter a ministry that is operating on their own outside the authority of the local church, I know that although God is gracious and that although God may allow them to see a a successful ministry, they are out of the will of God because the ministry of spreading the gospel was given to the local church. And if you want the blessings of God on your life when you launch out to carry the gospel around the world, you do so under the authority of the local church. And we see that's exactly what happened here. These men had been called by God to take the gospel into other parts of the world. But before they left, they were commissioned by the church at Antioch. They were ministers of the church at Antioch. Although they wouldn't be at church every Sunday morning, although they wouldn't be at church every Sunday night at Antioch, they were ministering under the authority of the local church there at Antioch. And the church at Antioch commissioned them and sent them out before they left to carry the gospel. They were commissioned by the church. Some things I want to point out about this commissioning. First, I see that it was taken seriously. This thing of commissioning these men was taken seriously. It says in verse number 3, and when they had fasted. Before they sent these men out to carry the gospel, they spent some time letting God know that they were serious about the success of of this ministry. They took it seriously. Another thing I see about this commissioning is that it was acknowledged spiritually. And when they had fasted and prayed. Now you know it would seem that there's no question here. Surely God wants them to go. We're taking the gospel. We're preaching to people that's never heard. But before they sent them out, they spent some time in prayer confirming that this was the will of God. It was taken seriously. It was acknowledged spiritually. But then I see also that it was supported sincerely. When they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. I see here that this church supported the ministry of these missionaries. Now in our day, missions programs have expanded and grown. Right now there was really only a couple of churches, the church at Jerusalem and the church at Antioch. And so the church at Antioch was primarily responsible for getting Barnabas and Saul onto the mission field. Now in our day, uh, there are multiple churches. uh, And so multiple churches will join together to help support a missionary and provide the financial needs for a missionary so that that missionary can go to the mission field. Uh, But whenever that missionary goes, and especially missionaries who are out of our church, uh, they ought to know... uh, that they have our support. They ought to know that they are loved, that they are supported, that they are prayed for. And we ought to do our part to let our missionaries know, hey brother, we're praying for you. Hey brother, we're thinking about you. Hey brother, we want to be a blessing to you. We need to support our missionaries financially, yes, but above and beyond that, they need to know that as ministers of our work, as partners with our work, that they are 
supported as ministers of the gospel. We see here that Barnabas and Saul were supported sincerely. The church was behind this mission work and Barnabas and Saul had no doubt that they were supported. I see two things the church authorized Barnabas and Saul to do. They were commissioned by the church to do two things, travel and preach. Here's what we're sending you out to do. You travel, you find sinners, you preach the gospel. You travel, you find sinners, you preach the gospel. You know what? That's a pretty good commission for everybody. You go, you find sinners, you share the gospel. This is what they were commissioned to do. However, anytime we share the gospel, whether it be at home or at broad, uh, there will be times, pretty much always, that we will receive a contrasting reception. When you share the gospel, you will, not, you will receive contrasting reception. In verse 6 down through verse number 8, it says, And when they had gone through the aisle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elimus the sorcerer, for so his name is by interpretation, withstood them seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Paul and Barnabas and Saul took off and they arrived and they began to preach in the synagogues and we found that there was some who will hear. Right away, they were contacted. And the deputy said, I need to hear more. I want you to come tell me more. I want you to come tell me about this Christ. And so they go to, they go to share the gospel with him. But when they get there, we find out that there was this sorcerer, this wicked man uh, who was uh, there with the deputy, uh, who when he realized that the deputy was interested uh, in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, he began to withstand them. He began to oppose them. Uh, he began to try and cause hindrances uh, because he didn't want the deputy to put his faith uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there'll be some that will hear, but there'll always be others that will hinder. But anytime we encounter opposition, if we rely on the Lord, we will see a confirmation of God's power. Anytime you share the gospel, there will be opposition. But rely on the Lord and you'll see a confirmation of God's power. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. And said, O full of all subtility and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. We'll look at the confirmation of God's power here in just a second, but I do want to mention something to you, uh, just a little extra. Uh, in case you noticed it there. In verse number 9 it says, Then Saul, who is also called Paul. Now this is actually the first place that we find Saul of Tarsus being called Paul. But from henceforth throughout the rest of the book of Acts and throughout the rest of the New Testament, unless Paul is referring back to his salvation experience, Paul is always known as Paul. Now many people try to say, and, and with good, good intention, they try to say that Saul's name was changed to Paul at his conversion. And that Jesus saved him and he's no longer Saul of Tarsus, he's now Paul the Apostle, and that Jesus saved his name. And it makes for really good preaching, but it's just not biblical. 
Because we see here in Acts chapter number 13, Saul of Tarsus has been saved for quite a while. He's been saved for several years. He's been preaching for several years. He's been doing the work of God for several years as Saul of Tarsus. But now he is getting ready to go forth as a missionary, a Jewish missionary to the Gentile people sharing the word of God. And we see that it says, and Saul, who is also called Paul. Now, this is not uncommon. My name is John. That is actually my middle name. My first name is Eric. So I am John, who could also be called Eric. Pretty common. I have a last name, Tilly. Some people have called me Tilly. They just like the sound of that better. And I'm sure that each of you are that way. Brother Randy, we call him Brother Randy. But if you like him on Facebook, you're his friend on Facebook, he's Paul on Facebook. If you haven't been able to find him, he's Paul on Facebook. And so we see that uh, I am uh, Eric, who could also be called John. Uh, Randy, who could also be called Paul. And all of us have names uh, uh, that we could say, you know, here are two names. And this is what we see here that Luke says in the book of Acts. He said, this is Saul, who is also called Paul. You say, well, why the name change? Well, apparently, Saul was his Jewish name and Paul was his Roman name. We know from the Word of God that the Apostle Paul was a Roman uh, citizen. And so he had a Jewish name and a Roman name. Now, he's been ministering to Jews. He was, he was a Pharisee, so of course he would have went by his Jewish name. After his salvation, he was ministering to Jews, so he went by his Jewish name. But now he's getting ready to go to the Gentiles. And so Paul said, I want to be all things to all men. I'll go by my Gentile name as I minister to the Gentiles. Now we don't have a verse of Scripture that tells us specifically that that is why he changed his name, but we do know without a doubt that it didn't have anything to do with his conversion because Paul's been saved and preaching for a long time at this point. What this is, is Saul said, you know what? I don't want to be Saul anymore. I want to be Paul. It could have been that simple. It could have been that he wanted to reach the Gentiles. Whenever I was a, a little fella, I first started school, somehow my teachers got mixed up. My name was Eric John Tilly. And my teacher got mixed up and recorded my name as John Eric Tilly. And within a few uh, weeks of school, I was called John Eric by everybody. And that was just who I was. Everybody called me John Eric. Hey, John Eric, John Eric, all this stuff. And whenever I got a little bit older, I'm like, you know what? I don't like the sound of this John Eric. We drop an Eric. Eric's gone. He is no more. We're losing that. Uh, uh, John Eric is now John, okay? Just leave the Eric off of there. And please don't start calling me John Eric. My mother-in-law still calls me John Eric. Anyway, um, <laughs> got to drop that Eric off of there. I, want, I just want to be John now. It could very well be that Saul said, hey, I'm going, to, I'm going to start going by Paul now. But we do know that it didn't have anything to do with his conversion. Anyway, I didn't mean to spend so much time on that. But sometimes it's good to clarify what is going on in the Word of God. I see three things here about the Apostle Paul. I see, first of all, that Paul's seen a confirmation of God's power because Paul was filled with the Holy Ghost. It says, Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost. You know what? If you and I are going to engage the enemy, we need to be filled. That filling means submitted to. We need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. We are powerless against the devil on our own, but unstoppable when we're filled with the Spirit. In addition to being filled with the Spirit, we see that Paul was fueled by righteous indignation. 
Paul was fueled by righteous indignation. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, verse number 26, Be ye angry and sin not. This verse lets us know that there are two kinds of anger. There is anger that is sinful and anger that is righteous. Righteous anger, I believe, is stirred against ungodly perversion or opposition to the gospel. We see that Jesus demonstrated righteous anger whenever the Pharisees uh, uh, turned the house of God into a place of dishonest gain and Jesus was righteously indignant at what they were doing to the house of God. We see here that Paul demonstrates righteous anger against the sorcerer who was attempting to hinder the salvation of a seeking sinner. Paul became righteously angry and he said in verse number 10, O full of all subtility and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of God? Then Paul, full of the Spirit, righteously indig- in, uh, righteous indignation towards this man, Paul operated in faith in the power of God. It says, Paul said to him, And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness. He went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Paul had faith in God, and God was able to bring judgment upon this man. Lastly, we see that because Paul and Barnabas surrendered to the call of God, they began to see the gospel expand as people began to be converted to the gospel. Look at verse number 12. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. I see three things that led to his conversion. I see, first of all, that he was convicted by the gospel. You know, the best way to get people to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ is through the gospel, telling them the truth of the Word of God. We can use all sorts of means to attract people. We can use all sorts of programs to interest people in coming. But the only thing that will bring people to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ is the truth of the Word of God. And if you are winning people and adding people without the gospel, you are headed for disaster because it is the gospel that brings salvation. We see that this man was convicted by the gospel. We see that he was convinced by the power of God. You know, something that ought to be evident in a Christian's life and especially in the church is evidence of the power of God working amongst us. This man saw the sorcerer go blind and he was convinced by the power of God. But I believe that sinners ought to be able to watch our life and see evidence of the power of God. And that evidence bring them under conviction and convince them of their need of salvation. And then thirdly, we see that he was converted. How was he converted? It says, then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed. You're not converted by good works. You're not converted by doing good deeds. You're not converted by uh, whatever thing you think you may have accomplished, whatever good thing you think you have done. You're not converted by uh, maintaining religious rituals. Uh, No, you are converted by one thing and one thing only, uh, and that is by putting your faith and trust uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, There is nothing we can do. There is no way that we can ever uh, merit heaven on our own. Uh, The only way that you can receive salvation is by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, Barnabas and Saul preached the gospel and the deputy 
was converted and thus the mission was launched. This mission trip was started. They were off, they were going, they were preaching and people were coming to the Lord. As we look at modern day missions, there are people who are going and preaching and folks are being saved and coming to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we look at this blueprint for missions, I believe that all Christians, all Christians, are called into the work of spreading the gospel around the world. I don't believe this is a calling that is just for special people or just for certain people, but I believe that all people are called to be a part of the Great Commission, and part of the Great Commission is getting the gospel into the uttermost parts of the world. You say, well, Pastor John, do you think that all of us should just sell our homes, pack our bags, and move to the mission field? No, I don't believe that all of us should. I believe that that's possible that there may be some who that is what God is calling them to do. But I believe that all of us are to be involved. We're either to be going or we're to be sending. Everybody at the church at Antioch didn't go. Matter of fact, we listed five men, only two of them went. But those that stayed sent the two who went. We're either to be going or to be sending. But everyone is to be involved in the work of getting the gospel into the uttermost parts of the world. I believe some are to go. And perhaps the Lord's been working on your heart about the possibility of taking the gospel and going to a place that's never heard. But I believe that others are to send. My question this morning is, are you involved in the advancement of the gospel? Are you involved in getting the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world? How are you, do, how are you helping to spread the gospel? What, are, what is your involvement in the work of missions. You know, maybe you need to be more involved by helping send missionaries to the field, by financially supporting the missions program here at the church. We support 40 missionaries, and we support them for $125 a month. Boy, what a blessing that is, that we can support those missionaries, and we can support them for that much money. But you know what? Every week, I get two or three I'm contacted by two or three missionaries. Most of the time, sometimes a missionary I'm contacted by is someone I would not want to partner with because of doctrinal beliefs. But most of the time, every missionary that I look at is someone that I would love to partner with. Someone who has been called of God to take the gospel to another place, to take the gospel to people that's never heard, to preach the gospel that sinners might know the Lord Jesus Christ and I have a file, and often I just put their name in the file because I know that in our faith promise, we don't have enough money to take on any more missionaries. Maybe God's working on your heart to be more involved in reaching the uttermost and saying, Lord, I could, 
I could put a little more money in the missions program. I could give a little more money towards missions and then our missions fund will come up and I'll be able to open the file and pull out some names and call and say, hey brother, we want to partner with you. Hey brother, we want to partner with you. Hey brother, we want to have a part in what you're doing and we want to continue to accomplish what God has called us to do as a church in sending the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. Maybe God is working in your heart about being more involved financially in sending missionaries. Maybe the Lord's working on your heart to surrender to the call. Say, you know what? I've lived the American dream long enough. Now it's time for me to take the gospel and go and share it with someone else. There's room for more in both categories. There's a need for people to go. There's a need for people to give. But we're all called to be involved in the work of missions. Our prayer should be, Lord, where would you have me serve? How can I be involved in this work of sending the gospel to the uttermost parts?